What is going on, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host this evening, as I have been each and every Wednesday for the last four years. Now into year number five, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. And it is tough times for your Texans, but another game this week. We buckle up for the Indianapolis Colts and go up to Indianapolis on Sunday Ready to battle with Andrew Luck and the boys up there. Another AFC South battle. The Colts' second game at home this year. They got a weird schedule to start off. They play three of the first seven. Is that right? They have home. They had home game Cincinnati. Then they went on the road twice. Then they play home game, which is us. Then they go back on the road twice. And then they play home game, and then they go back on the road twice. I believe that's right. Their schedule is nuts. So the crowd's going to be jacked up. It's a team I think that Indianapolis fans, are they've got to be pleasantly surprised with. And we'll talk more about the Colts as we go through the day. And we'll start with our next segment when we go behind enemy sidelines with DP City this week. It's Andrew Walker of Colts.com. We'll talk to Russell Baxter, at Guru on Twitter. We'll go behind the mics, the men behind the mics, with Mark Vandermeer, of course, and our good buddy Matt Taylor, who's moved from the sidelines up to the booth and is calling play-by-play for the Colts this year until they find the permanent guy for that particular job. Andre Ware is going to stop by and give us his thoughts on what he saw last weekend, what he thinks the Texans must do to get a W on Sunday, and, of course, where is he going on Saturday to cover a college game? Let's just say that Mark and I went to school in that particular area. And by school, I mean college, not high school. Because you know I went to school here. So we got plenty to do on this particular show. Let's get it kicked off, as we always do, with our hot reads. Hot reads are brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Let's start right here with some of the best news that we have had in this building in a long time. Safety Andre Howe. Diagnosed back in May with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he has been around the building. He's been working out. He has been doing uh, his treatment. He had been doing it for a while, actually since May, when they uh, found his Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the news came this morning that his lymphoma was in remission. Now, he chose a treatment path that did not include chemotherapy. And I remember thinking... When I saw him, you know, a lot of times when individuals go through chemotherapy, there'll be some, uh, most of the time you hear of, you know, someone losing their hair. I had a buddy of mine that went through it. He lost his hair and we shaved our hair for him, you know, to kind of make him feel at home, et cetera. And so if you had seen Andre every single day and you didn't know, you would have no idea, I guess, at that particular moment. Now, he talked about today the various things that he was doing, but he said one of the reasons that he chose the, the path that he took with no chemotherapy going with another medication or treatment was he wanted to get back for football. I didn't want to do chemo because I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss this year. I, want, I wanted to play this year, and I don't think people really thought I was going to come back and play, but uh, I kind of knew in my, in my heart that I wanted to come back and play, so I didn't want to do chemo, so I tried to, to do a more, what they call it, a less harsh drug, so I did a uh, retoxin. So I went through IV. I did that for a month, once a week for a month, and uh, the cancer went away. From the day that Andre Howe was drafted by the Texans in 2014, I, I knew there was something, I don't want to say different about him, but you knew that he was the type of guy that could be a leader for any organization 
ever, anywhere, whether it was football, whether it was a business, whether it was a school, the guy was a bona fide leader. And he talked about getting back for football and everything that he did was with this football team in mind. I've been working out the whole time. I never stopped working out. I was, I was obsessed. I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I wanted to get back on the field. And uh, just that obsession made me do all the stuff I had to do. Like I did acupuncture. Um, met a doctor called Dr. Bean Yu. He does acupuncture. Um, I had a, a long talk with Tiffany, Tiffany Smith, Rick Smith's wife. She, you know, she went through cancer. So um, she made a point for me to kind of, she introduced me to different people so I can, you know, you know learn like the, the natural way to do it too. So, cause I said, I want to keep my body. I want to keep my strength. So she, she told me a lot of ways to do that too. So uh, I did those ways and uh, I just, you know, I had faith, man. That's, that's, that's the main thing. I had faith in, in God and faith in myself that I was going to beat this. When David Quisenberry was going through his bout with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of the things that he often talked about was being around a team and having that sense of, of normalcy, if you will, and feeling normal. You heard Dre talk about that. He said being around the locker room helped do that for him. I needed to be around a guy. I needed to feel normal. You know what I mean? I feel like when, once I felt normal, my body started healing. And I had to be around, you know, Kareem Jackson, J. Joe. I've been around these guys for the last five years, so I, I didn't want to like just stay home just because I, I was sick. I, I had I had to come back and work out, be around the guys, so I can you know heal and get better. Mark Vandermeer and I had the opportunity to talk with Dre throughout his career. In fact, I think it was last year, the year before, he would come up here on Mondays and do the show with us in the morning. He would do a live segment with us. We would talk about the game and. Invariably, as you talk about the game, you talk about a win or a loss, you got more time. And so we just started delving into different topics. And one of them we found out was he's a voracious reader. And he gives us some great things to read and to think about. I told you before, and, I've, and I believe this with my heart, he is, he is destined for such good in this world. And he said he had been working on this particular plan up until this point. So when he found out the news, he was ready to handle it. He had been prepared to battle this all along. The past two years, I've been, like, just self-development, reading books and just, you know, getting closer to God and stuff like that. So um, when they told me, I kind of knew that, you know, this time, this, this is what I've been preparing for. I was preparing for this, this, this actual moment. So when they told me, I, I wasn't wasn't scared. I didn't cry, you know. My mom was on my side. I, I had God on my side. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't scared at all. So I just kind of like, okay, let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. There's no question that Dre Howe was a massive storyline today here in the building, and for good reason. The players were talking about him as well. Here's what J.J. Watt had to say about Andre Howe. The thing about Dre is he's been unbelievably positive and upbeat the whole time. Like, he's he's never had a iota of a doubt in his mind what the outcome was going to be. And, um, I mean, it's, it's great to see, obviously. I mean, Unfortunately, I've had two teammates who've had to go through things like this, but fortunately, I've had two guys who I can look to as inspiration for the rest of my life. Anything I ever go through, uh, I can look at these two guys and and unequivocally say um, that I have two guys I can look to and know that I can get through anything. You heard Dre Hal earlier mention two guys that he's been with for the last five years, Jonathan Joseph and Kareem Jackson, who had this to say. It's just all about us supporting him. You know, um, I mean, we're all here for you know, uh, for football, but at the end of the day, you know, we become closer as men. You know, we all have families, you know, and we, we all want to support each other off the field as well. So, you know, anytime we, we're going through anything tough like that, you know, I mean, we, we definitely have to have each other's back. For as much as we all love football, guys in this building make a living around this particular team. Coach Bill O'Brien said today, 
This is one of those days and one of those moments that's bigger than football. Today's one of those those days that just really is bigger than football. Uh, just very, very happy, uh, very special day here to announce that uh, Dre Howe, his Hodgkin's lymphoma is in remission. Uh, Dre's a very special guy to us here, very special guy to me. Uh, he's been here from the start. We drafted him in 14. He was a corner. We moved him to safety. He's been a leader for us. He's just been an uh, unbelievable guy in this, in this organization. Dre never wavered in his belief uh, that he would beat it, and he has. Uh, right now, Andre's health and well-being is our main priority. That's our main deal. We'll take it day by day. The man is certainly an inspiration, Andre Howe. Hopefully now we can see him on the field. When that will happen, hard to say. But great news that Andre Howe's lymphoma is in remission. What a great day. All right, let's get to our next hot read, and it is a transaction-based one. Now, yesterday was a day full of transactions. If you missed, because even if you saw it, you're like, wait, what all happened? Well, there's a lot of things that happened. Unfortunately, two guys were put on IR. Dylan Cole with a wrist, and then I read a report later. It said also a knee. Either way, Dylan's going to IR, and that's as crushing as the next one. Bruce Ellington will go to IR with a hamstring injury. And I didn't see it on the sidelines. I saw it watching the game, watching the All-22. You could tell Bruce pulled up. Some of you may have seen it from my vantage point where I am. I'm, I'm blocked by the team. Anything happens on that sideline, on the Texas sideline. And he just went right off the field after running a, a route to the sideline. And you could tell as soon as I saw it on the All-22, I was like, oh, you can see the hamstring for sure. So those two go to IR, unfortunately. Now, if, if down the road, healthy enough, they'll be able to come back. I believe they can bring back two guys. So they can bring back one. They can bring back both. They may not be able to bring either one back. But Dylan Cole and Bruce Ellington going to IR. Hate it. Absolutely hate it. Those guys have been making plays for this team. And we, we needed to have them. And we won't for the foreseeable future. And that obviously is frustrating. Now, as a result, the Texans added two players to the roster. One of them, Day-Day. Day-Day. Deshaun Hall. That's what they call them at Texas A&M. Day-Day is going to be and was added to the 53-man roster. Also added to the 53-man roster was offensive tackle David Sharp, who was on the practice squad, and so he moves up to the 53 Deshaun Hall is brought from San Francisco's practice squad to the 53. And then Malachi Dupree was again signed back to the practice squad. So if you follow that, two off the 53, Dylan Cole Bruce Ellington, to add it to the 53, outside linebacker Deshaun Hall and tackle, offensive tackle David Sharp. And Malachi Dupree then took David Sharp's spot on the practice squad. Boy, a lot was happening yesterday. And, unfortunately, that's the way things go in the NFL. Guys go on IR. Guys get moved around from practice squad to practice squad. But I'm excited to see what Deshaun Hall has. I, I really liked him, watched him a ton coming out of Texas A&M. He's a former basketball player with a lot of skill. We'll see how he fits for this 53-man roster. 
but he was added to the 53-man roster along with David Sharp, a massive tackle who played at the University of Florida, also from Jacksonville. And I've talked to a few of my buddies in the past, not even before Sharp got into the NFL. I talked to him when he was at Florida, and they said he is one big, athletic, talented guy, but it needs to all come together now. And if it does, who's to say? So the Texans get an opportunity to work with David Sharp now on the 53-man roster. So there you go. There are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Coming up, we will go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. This week, Andrew Walker of Colts.com next on Texans All Access. Calling all Houston area teachers, want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. All right, it's time to go behind enemy sidelines with D.P. Sidhu. This week, it is Andrew Walker of Colts.com. D.P., take it away. I am looking forward to going up to Indianapolis earlier in the season rather than in December at the end of the year. So this is this is a little different for us. Yeah, you don't have to trudge through the through the snow or cold or you have to kind of change your New Year's plans. I guess last year it was kind of around that time. So right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot different this time around. Yeah, we get to see leaves changing in the fall, which will be nice up in Indy. Uh, I was looking back. The Texans, the last time they faced Andrew Luck was week 14 of the 2016 season. A long, long time ago. They'll get to face him again on Sunday. Let's talk about the Colts and, and how he's looked so far because I think that's really the big storyline, especially after that final play against Philly. The Hail Mary, Jacoby Brissett goes in, Andrew Luck comes out. You know, what can you tell us about his health so far and how he's looked through these first three games? Yeah, I mean, I think the recency bias is kind of showing on that because people saw a few of his throws against the Eagles and then, of course, that kind of like that last play the Hail Mary and and people are kind of wait a minute what you know what is this I I think you need to go to week one and week two though against the Bengals and then against the Redskins and say okay wait no he's fine I'm not making excuses for the guy but there was rain all day on on Sunday against the Eagles there was a lot of pressure from a really good defensive front um, and if you if you go through and and people won't do this but if you go through and watch all of Andrew Luck's throws I mean, there's a couple times where he was, like, running to his right, throwing all the way across the field, across his body, and making throws like that. So I'm not concerned at all with Andrew Luck's arm strength. Um, I think he's not, you know, completely 100% back to where he was pre-shoulder surgery or pre-shoulder injury. He can get there. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not freaking out too much about it because I've seen him since the start of training camp build this thing up. And he's made a lot of deep throws in practice, um, and he they just they just haven't really taken a ton of chances downfield. And Frank Wright kind of owned that. He said we do got to have more opportunities to do that in games, and they've tried or had options here and there. So it's nothing I'm worried about. And then that final throw, 
I mean, Jacoby Brissett just has a better arm than Andrew Luck. And we all knew a couple of years ago, Andrew Luck had a great arm and then he had surgery and all that. And I can see people connecting the two, but even, I, I think even two or three years ago, I mean, Jacoby Brissett just simply has a better arm and they just wanted to give their receivers a chance um, just with a deeper throw. So I, uh, again, I'm not freaking out too much about it, and um, it's not something that's really on my radar personally. And I think the Colts are are moving on just fine, knowing that Andrew Luck will be will be fine the next few weeks as he gets back to absolutely 100% arm strength. Yeah, and you know, with everything that he's gone through with the shoulder surgery and trying to work his way back, now that he's finally back out there on the field, do you see any differences in the offense? Um, that any any changes they've made to sort of protect him so that. He doesn't re-injure the same shoulder or, or suffer another big injury like that. Or does the offense pretty much look like it did in 2016 before he went through all of this? Yeah, Frank Reich's um, influence is definitely very apparent. Uh, they're getting rid of the ball a lot quicker, which is why the kind of the yards per attempt is so far down. They're, they're getting the ball out of his hands a lot quicker and into the hands of the playmakers to kind of let them do the work and get the yards instead of kind of more through the air. Again, they want to do more deep shots, but uh, Frank Wright kind of treats it like the boxer analogy where you throw some jabs, throw some jabs, and then throw the uppercut, you know, to kind of the, the end punch to kind of end things. Um, they haven't really gotten to that point yet. They've had a couple uh, deep t- deep throws down the field that have resulted in, in pass interference, which is good, but they haven't really connected on anything deep yet. So, um, so yeah, they are changing things as far as kind of more pre-snap motion and more um, just quicker throws straight out of the quarterback's hand off the snap, um, and so you'll see it on Sunday. It is a, a much different-looking Colts offense, um, and they are still working through some things, you know, um, some injuries, to, uh, Jack Doyle, Anthony Costanza, Marlon Mack um, among them. So um, if those guys either can't play or are playing, um, they're still trying to work those guys in the mix too. So once they're at full strength, and if there is a, such a thing as full strength in the NFL, I think you'll see things open up a little bit more. Andrew, both of these teams have quarterbacks coming off of injury, um, but the Colts seem to have sort of the reverse problem of the Texans. They start fast and they end slow. Uh, right yeah. now they're one and two, but they've been outscored 27 to 10 by opponents in the fourth quarter. What's been the issue with the late comebacks by opposing teams and the Colts unable to sort of slow them down? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of that was just uh, was week one against the Bengals where um, it, it seemed like 2017 all over again because the Colts had. I think nine second half leads in games that and and won four of them. So they blew they blew a lot of those leads in the second half last year. And week one kind of seems like uh, deja vu all over again because um, it, it was kind of the classic case of uh, you know they're up you know double digits, thirteen points in the second half, and and even then you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, when are the Bengals going to start coming back? Up oh, here it comes. Yep, they're they're ahead now. And then the Colts kind of staged a a late game rally and it was thwarted by a, um, you know, a fumble and a recovered fumble for a touchdown. So a lot of that this year came in, in, in that week one game. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of that theme week three against the Eagles. They had a brief, a brief lead in the second half. They're kind of flipping the, the, the lead back and forth a couple of times. Um, but I, I didn't see those same things, same themes against the Eagles. So, you know, I'm not saying that's still not uh, uh, there somewhat, and this is still a very young Colts team overall, but I think um, Frank Reich and his one of his main models is an obsession to finish, and I think they're definitely working on that. You know, for Frank Reich being an offensive-minded guy, he's done some nice things with the defense and coming in there, and maybe that was something that was sort of in the works 
uh, with Chris Ballard and, and some of the players that he's brought in. But I wanted to ask you about rookie linebacker Darius Leonard. Obviously, everyone's been hearing the buzz about him. He was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week and NFL Rookie of the Week after his that Week 2 performance against Washington. And he's you know, the, the Colts defense produced five sacks on Carson Wentz, two of which were by Leonard. You know, being a second-round pick out of South Carolina State, when did you see, when did everyone sort of see that he was going to become the playmaker that he's become? And, and is anyone surprised that it's happened as quickly as it has? Yeah, I think there is a little bit of surprise just because of the fact, you know, uh, an FCS school type guy, a small school guy um, is making such an impact early. Um, although he is kind of right now as advertised as Chris Ballard kind of described him in after the draft and, and kind of watching his college film and the senior bowl, he, he kind of described this guy's sideline to sideline. He's got all the length we need. He's got the playmaking ability we need. Um, but you're seeing that in play. Um, you know, he actually was suffering through a quad, uh, a nagging quad injury from pretty much the combine through the end of the off-season workout program. So he really wasn't on the field um, pretty much at all uh, for the Colts during the off-season workout program. His first day in training camp, the first day of practice, he picks off Andrew Luck with this really athletic, turning, jumping um, move to to get the interception. And I think that that was kind of like one of those whoa type moments, like. Okay, this guy, you know, this this young this young guy can play a little bit, and ever since then it's just been incremental steps up and up and up, and you know now it's to the point where if he doesn't through three weeks, if you know if he doesn't get ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen tackles in a game and make a, another big play like a sack or or a pass breakup or a forced fumble or or whatever, it, it's a surprise. So um, he's done great for himself. He's he's kind of the epitome of what this defense needs to be, which is hustle to the ball make tackles, don't let guys by, um, and, and he's he's done a great job with that. And, you know, again, it's only three weeks in, but he's definitely um, done himself well and maybe the defensive rookie of the year standing so far. Yeah, you talk about the expectation level. It's funny because against Washington he had 19 tackles and only 13 this last Sunday against the Eagles. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a drop in a drop in production. A drop in productions is still pretty phenomenal for him. What about Marcus Hunt, defensive end? He seems to fit in really well with that Colts defense. Three sacks and three games. He spent some time in, with Cincinnati, and he was with the Colts last year. But what do you think is the difference with him this year? Why he's made such a big jump from last year to this year? Yeah, what's funny with Marcus Hunt is you know he was a project second round pick, if you can believe it, um, back in 2013 by the Bengals. And he was in a 4-3 and, you know, was kind of a role player for him and, and more of a special teams guy that he, he blocks a lot of kicks. I mean, he's 6-8. He, he's got really good timing with that. And that was kind of what he was known for. Last year he comes to the Colts, who then were running a 3-4 and kind of found more of a better role as a defensive end um, in the 3-4. And then Henry Anderson, I think against the Texans, suffered that weird throat injury and, and was out for the rest of the year. So Marcus Hunt came in and actually did a pretty good job. But what, what he said about at the time uh, after he signed by the Colts was, yeah, the 3-4 suits me much better. I don't, I'm not, I wasn't very comfortable in the 4-3. Now the Colts are back in the 4-3 and he's excelling. I mean, he leads the NFL in tackles for loss. Um, he has a, already has a career high three sacks. Um, I think it's just there's subtle differences between what the Bengals did in their 4-3 and what Matt Eberflus the defensive coordinator does in his four three, and he's been able to move around. He's been at end, he's been at tackle, and um, he's just been a monster. And, and he's thirty one years old, um, kind of a, a 
I don't know if it's a resurgence because he never had a, a real, you know, uh, good season before this. So, um, you know, the Colts had a decision between kind of keeping him or John Simon. And you guys know about what John Simon can bring to the table. And he had a great preseason. He had a great training camp. But ultimately, Chris Ballard went with Marcus Hone over John Simon because of his fit in the 4-3. And, and it's paid off so well, uh, paid off to this point, um, you know, and we'll see if he can keep it going. Andrew, I want to ask you about the Colts O-line. You, you mentioned keeping Andrew Luck healthy and uh, upright, but you, uh, the Colts are really suffering a lot as far as injuries at tackle. What can you tell us about Anthony Costanzo? He has not played a game this year, and now it looks like Joe Haig may be out too. What can you tell us about the O-line and what to expect maybe for Sunday? Yeah, it's just been kind of the, the musical chairs type thing because you know Costanzo hurt his hamstring working out on his own before camp. He was on pup to start camp, and then – a few days into camp, gets off pup, gets on the field, and then after a couple of days, re-aggravates the hamstring injury, misses the whole preseason. They sent him out week one, and then he's ready to go uh, seemingly for week two, and during practice, he re-aggravates it again. Now, the, the belief was at the time, and now it wasn't anything major. They're, they're just going to keep an eye on it more week to week. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's a guy that rarely misses any games, and he's missed the first three to start this year in – He's just been, you know, last year he put in a career year. He's a solid left tackle, and the Colts need him in there. Um, but it's not something that they're going to rush. Um, obviously not playing him week one as a caution. Uh, precaution was is evidence of that. So um, right now, LaRaven Clark, who's had spot starts here and there, is getting his shot at left tackle. And really, other than the final play, the Derek Barnett sack on fourth and three from the four-yard line when the Colts were trying to get a game-winning score late against Philly, other than that play, LaRaven's done pretty well for himself. But then you talked about Joe Haig on the right side, had an ankle injury, tried to play through it against the Eagles. Now it's now it's a week-to-week thing for him. So, you know, they just got Denzel Good back from a hamstring injury. Um, so he's now rotated in at, at right tackle. Um, and really they're starting to run out of options. So right now it's Denzel Good at right tackle, LaRaven Clark at left tackle until we hear otherwise. So, you know, uh, it's like you said, like I said, it's been, it's been kind of musical chairs and whoever plays right, you know, if both positions are out, it affects who plays where and who who's stronger at left versus right. So they have a lot of decisions to make, but, but as of right now, it looks like um, Clark's in at left and Good's in at right until we hear otherwise. Before I let you go, Andrew, I want to ask you about the, the Colts run game. Frank Gore's obviously not there any longer. I think the the Colts recognized him the last time we were there for another major career milestone. So the Colts now go younger as far as the run game is concerned. They got a rookie, and then Marlon Mack that you mentioned may not be playing. What does that look like? Is it running back by committee for now? Or are they looking to maybe focus on one of those guys as a feature back heading forward? Yeah, well, until until we kind of see who's active, who's not on Sunday, the Colts, I mean, kind of have just two active running backs right now. They've got and they're both rookies, Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines. And Wilkins and Hines are so different. Wilkins is more your traditional kind of between-the-tackles, uh, patient-type runner. And Hines is kind of your all-over-the-field, lined-up at receiver, in the backfield, um, in the slot, all that stuff. So um, so they've got some options there. And then Marlon Mack kind of does it all. Um, and you saw that that stiff arm on Jadeveon Clowney last year. Mack actually did that with a injured shoulder that he ended up having – um, uh, surgery on earlier this off season. So um, Max, a tough guy. He's fast. If, if he's had a hamstring um, issue, so if and so if he can get back, um, that'd be great for the run game. But as of right now, um, yeah, it is kind of more by committee. Wilkins has been getting the start. 
but um, but they're not afraid to throw Hines in for tons of snaps, and they'll they'll have even two running backs on the on the field at the same time because of what both bring to the table. Um, the the attempts aren't up. The Colts don't rush the ball a whole lot yet, um, but their yards per carry isn't bad. So so when they do want to run it, um, they are getting some good results. So I expect those numbers to kind of tick up as Marlon Mack gets back, and we saw his his impact early in that Redskins game on the first drive. They just kind of ran it right down the Redskins' throat and got a touchdown. So, um, so I think, you know, with Mack coming back, I don't know if it'll be this week against the Texans or, or maybe next week, but, um, but I think you'll see an uptick in those numbers. Great stuff there from Andrew Walker of Colts.com and our own D.P. Sidhu. Coming up next, we'll go around the NFL with my good buddy Russell Baxter right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you on a wet Wednesday evening. I'm your host, John Harris. Joining me right now, my good buddy. You can follow him on Twitter, at Bax, B-A-X, football guru, fansided.com, NFL Spin Zone. It's my man, Russell Baxter. Russell, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. It's uh, another interesting week, um, or coming off an extremely interesting week, or should I say an interesting meek, because... The meek rose well, in week three, um, you know, and it just shows you the nature of this league and why making impressions after one week or two weeks can be so false. Just ask the Buffalo Bills and the Detroit Lions. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Russell, I don't even know how you explain it. I mean, during the game, obviously, we did not rise up, and we'll get to that in just a second. Right. But as the game is going on, our game is going on, we obviously are seeing the scores, and I keep seeing that Buffalo score go up and go up, and go up, and I'm thinking, what is going on? I mean, they were a 17-point underdog, and they were ahead at one point, I think, what, 26 to nothing. I, I, it's, it's one of those things that it seems like it could only happen in the NFL where a team that's a 17-point underdog turns around and has a 26 to nothing lead on the road with a rookie quarterback. Yeah, pretty, pretty astounding, and also considering – this was a team that was outscored 78 to 23 oh. the first two weeks of the season. Looked dreadful against Baltimore. Looked a little better against the Los Angeles Chargers. But, you know, Minnesota, which was coming off a very rousing um, tie 
<laughs> with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. So remember, they scored 22 points in the fourth quarter to forge that tie. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know what, what you want to call it, but I will, I will say this because, you know, people get very, very caught up in the quarterbacks and so on. And, you know, I know Kirk Cousins certainly took his lumps mentally and physically after that game. But you got to block somebody. You know, when you give up the pressure that the Vikings gave up in that game and get ready for this, six carries for 14 yards on the ground? Mm. Well, trust me, after what after what we did Sunday against the New York Giants, it's it was it was kind of along those lines. Lamar Miller, who had, I believe was up in the top 10 in rushing the league, had 10 yards on 10 carries. And, Russell, we can say all we want about it being a passing league, and it really is. But if you're not if you're not putting it together on the ground, I mean, we found that out the other day because we became essentially a not a pass first team, we became a pass only team because the Giants had done such a good job of stopping the run. And I and Russell, I'm trying to figure out the Giants because at 0 two, they did not play well against Dallas, and they hung in there against Jacksonville and lost to a team that went to the AFC Championship game by four. And they came in here and every weapon was firing. In particular. Eli Manning, who went 25 of 29 against us. If he continues at, the, at that rate, I don't know what the Giants are going to be able to do and who's going to who's going to beat them if he's continuing at that point. I don't think he will, but, man, if I'm a Giants fan, i got to feel like old, old Eli is back. Well, you know, let's not forget the amount of carries for Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, this is a game of balance. I know, you know, listen, it's, it's great to watch Patrick Mahomes yep. throw 13 p- touchdown passes in three games. 38-28, 42-37, yep. up 35-7 and, and San Francisco. I'm not trying to throw cold water in all these fabulous performances. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, but we see that. I, I know I have told you the stat before about the high scoring teams in NFL history and their lack of success when it comes to winning a championship. Yep. But Monday night's a perfect example. Monday night, Pittsburgh's up by 20. They didn't really run the ball to kill the clock, and suddenly they're up by three. So you've got to offer balance in this league. And that was why the Giants went out and drafted Saquon Barkley, because they watched Eli throw the ball all over the place for the last couple of years, and sometimes he's thrown it to the other team. So – you know, I'm I'm being curious to see how some of these teams evolve over the next couple of weeks in terms of offensively. And the running game still remains very, very important because it remains important to the defense and keeping that defense off the field and keeping it fresh. I mean, we have seen some extraordinary scoring these first couple of weeks. Um, you know, New Orleans and Minnesota, which I just thought was a great football game. Yeah. You know, from t- from top to bottom. I mean, Atlanta is very decimated in the secondary. They've lost two safeties, their middle linebacker. Um, and yet they hung in there because the Saints, I mean, look at the Saints the first three weeks. They gave up 48 and w- lost. They gave up 37 and won. And that was a defense that by the end of last year, Yes. Albeit the Vikings game at the end of it aside, that was the Viking that was the Saints defense that was pretty solid. I mean, from top to bottom, from the front to the back, that was a group that was was pretty good. I mean, the Saints off Saint defense is never gonna be eighty five Bears like, but it was a unit that was pretty good and now you see them giving up a ton of points and they've got a lot of the same characters. And Russell it just makes me think year to year these teams end up being very similar to what they did the year before, but yet they can be so incredibly different. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that that's why you look at this league and entering the year. New England's been to the playoffs, John, nine years in a row. Ugh. Pittsburgh, four. Kansas City, three. Atlanta, two. Those are the only four teams that have been to the playoffs at least back-to-back years. Wow. In the entire league. You know, we saw an NFC last year. I mean, think about the NFC alone last year. All four division winners did not have a winning record the previous year. Okay? Wow. Yeah. Five of the teams that made the playoffs in 2016 didn't make it in 2017. The team that made the playoffs back-to-back years was the one that was supposedly had the Super Bowl hangover, and that was Atlanta, which is one of the reasons I was very high on Atlanta coming into this year and so on and made them a Super Bowl pick because of their continuity and so on. But they've, they've certainly received some blows. And the next couple of weeks, they, they face a couple of potent offensive teams in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. But, I mean, this, it's a league of attrition and it's a league of adjustments. And, you know, we haven't even got on Detroit, who, you know, less than two weeks after getting blown out 48-17 on Monday night, owns the Patriots on Sunday night. So, Russell, I'll ask you this as it pertains to that game. Was that more about Detroit? And it goes back to your point about balance because on Johnson runs for over 100 yards the first time, I think, in, what, 70 games or something like that. I think it was the first time since Billy Sims. I mean, it felt so, like it. I mean, it's ridiculous. But I'm we, just joking, obviously. That's, you know, it's pre-Barry Sanders. So. I, I know so there's, it was like four years. This team has barely gotten 100 yards rushing as a team. Yeah. Since 2014 – from 2014 to 2017, John, no team in the league ran for fewer yards than the Detroit Lions. They played – I'll just throw this out there. They played 66 total games from 2014 to 2017, including playoffs. John, they were held below 100-yard rushing 50 times in 66 games. As a team. Not, not just a play, as a team. I'm not talking about – and a team, oh. and they were on 100 yards rushing, I believe, their first two games of the season this year. So I ask you this, Russell, because this leads to a bigger question about the opponent. Was it more about what the Lions did do or what the Patriots couldn't do? I think it had more to do with what the Patriots are at the moment. And if I had to pick out a word for them right now, the word would be depleted. They do not look like themselves. And I'm not talking about like one of their traditional slow starts. I mean, this team more times than not is – lost its first game and gone on to win the Super Bowl. Yep. Been 2-2 two and two after four games and gone on to win the Super Bowl. This team has a different feel to it. When, you're lo- when you were looking around the other day offensively, okay, uh, uh, who was Brady throwing to? Yep. Who was Brady handing off to? Who was pass blocking for Brady? They lost Deion Lewis. They lost both their starting. Everybody talks about Solder because he got all the big money, but Cameron Fleming got a pretty decent check from Jerry Jones, too. Yep. So... They've lost a lot of people. They've got their best wide receiver is suspended. Well, you know, if you don't really think about the wide receivers on the team, why not cover Rob Gronkowski with 10 guys? Yeah, right. Okay? Right. Um, and Josh Gordon's not ready quite yet. So this is a, this is just a – we haven't seen this from New England. And, and, again, they're one and two. They're not one and ten. It doesn't mean things are over for anybody. But – Double-digit losses, they don't often lose two games in a row of any kind. But I think the thing that was really surprising was the way they got owned these last two weeks, John. They got owned by the passing game of the Jacksonville Jaguars, not known for their passing game. Yep. And then they got owned by the Detroit Ryans running game. 
not known for their running game. It's it is a very it's kind of bizarre world because now you look at division. I heard Tom Brady say this. Uh, I think it was yesterday he was talking about it, and he said we're in a unique position that we're actually looking up at somebody in the standings, and not only looking up, we're looking two games above us mm-hmm. in a division in the yeah. Miami Dolphins. And Russell, I would have told you at the beginning of the year if there was one team that was going to have the number one pick in the draft, it was going to be the Miami Dolphins. I just didn't see it. And Dominican Sue gone, Jarvis Landry gone, Adam Gaze, you know, you know, loves him some Ryan Tannehill, and I just thought there's no, there's no way. Yet, Miami sitting at 3-0. and And look, it's a long season. But even to get off to that start, Russell, I was absolutely flabbergasted that Miami is 3-0 and at this point. So am I. By the way, they're 3-0 and and the rest of the AFC East is 3-6. and Holy smokes. Okay, they're all 1-2. and two. Buffalo, yep. New England, and the Jets. The Jets were, you know, 48-17 over the Lions, and now they've lost two in a row. Buffalo rebounded from their 0-2 start. So... Streaky, streaky, streaky. But, you know, when I was doing my power rankings at the beginning of the year, I wasn't sure where to put Miami. Because like you, Ndamukong Sue gone. Jarvis Landry gone. Mike Pouncey gone. Yeah. And Sue and Pouncey were just cut loose. So I don't know where that. Ryan Tannehill returns. Let's not forget, he hadn't played in more than a year. He got hurt in December of 2016. It was Matt Moore that took them to the playoffs yep. down the stretch and against Pittsburgh. So you look at the way they were last year. They were, what, 4-2 and two at one time, I think, and then they they lost, what, 10 of their last uh, – not 10 of their last – 8 of their last 10 games. Didn't look good doing it as well. They, were, to me, were at a mystery. And the way they started out against Oakland, I mean, Rashad Jones was out, Minka Fitzpatrick, the former Alabama standout, making his first start. Jordy Nelson – and Jordy Nelson ran, you know, he might as well have been in the Orange Bowl parade the way he was running around Florida yep. um, against the Miami secondary. And yet, Miami comes back and wins, and they've had a, and it's just such an unusual start. They played a seven hour game against Tennessee because, remember, because of the weather. Yep. Um, you know, they, they go up to, my, to the Jets, and everybody fired up about the Jets' win, and they do what they have to against the Jets, and then they come back with a lot of big pass plays. And it wasn't just Ryan Tannehill to, um, you know, Albert Wilson. It was Albert Wilson throwing ball, the ball, too. Yep. So, very creative. Um, this week, um, it, 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 it's a team that, it's, like I said, they're a little bit of a mystery. They go up to New England. You know what's really interesting, John? Miami goes to New England this weekend. Even if they lose, they're still <laughs> In first one game play. above them. <laughs> That's crazy to think about. I mean, yeah, it is, it's I listen, nuts. Again, I don't go hog wild early in the season and stuff. It, I, it, to me, it's just unusual. You know, this is more unusual than a trend. Right. Okay. But what What if What if Miami actually won at New And they rarely do. New England going to Miami has always been a trouble for Bill Belichick's team. Miami, I think, I want to say New England's beaten Miami at Foxborough nine years in a row. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So it's not. You know, this isn't a place where the Dolphins are looking forward to the clam chowder and the lobster bake, okay? Yep. Um, but what if Miami pulled it off and they're sitting there with two road divisional wins four weeks into the season? Well, you know how they did it nine years ago. They did it with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams and the Wildcat. I don't know. Maybe they well, need to, maybe they the need to bring that out. To win, yeah, the last team to win the AFC East. 
was the Miami Dolphins in 2008, the last team other than New England. The Ronnie Brown, that was Tony Verano, rest in peace, and Bill Bel- and Bill Parcells running the show. Yep. And that was a team in 2007 that was 1-15. and And a year later, they were 11-5, and tying the biggest turnaround in NFL history in one season. The 1998 Colts were 3-13, and and then a year later, they were 13-3. and Those are the two incidents. That's the two biggest turnarounds in NFL history, 10 games. Well, I was hoping the Texans would go from four and twelve to fourteen and two, but that's not happening. And hopefully, it's not happening this year. But maybe they can get this thing turned around. I would hope at some point. At Bax Football Guru, you can follow him on Twitter. You definitely want to do that. Fan sided NFL Spin Zone. Well, man knows it all. Russell, you gave us stats last week on zero and two. I do not even want to ask you about zero and three. You're hearing a lot of this two percent, two percent, two percent under the current playoff format. Understandably, it's actually worse than that. There's only been five teams in the history of the league to come back from 0-3. And And it hasn't happened in 20 years, but I will also say there was also one team in 1992, the San Diego Chargers, that came back from 0-4. Okay, well, you're giving me hope. You're giving me hope, Russell, and that's that's all I need at this point. I just need a little bit of hope, just a little bit. But, oh, man. Would anything surprise you of what we've seen so far this year? Nope, not at all. Russell, appreciate your time, my friend. At Backs Football Guru, you can follow him there on Twitter, on NFL Spin Zone, fan side of the man knows his stuff. Coming up next, it's our men behind the mics. It is Matt Taylor, the play-by-play voice of the Indianapolis Colts with Mark Vandermeer next right here on Texas Access. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexas.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. I give you this, 2.58. That number is the amount of time it has taken for J.J. Watt to get to the quarterback on his three sacks. It is also the fastest slash quickest time of any player in the league 
with two plus sacks. That's about 75, 80 guys. His sack of Eli of 2.08 seconds, the fastest recorded all year. Oh, but yeah, he's lost a step. So there you go. Your stats challenge brought to you by Schlumberger. It's time for our men behind the mics. This week it's a little different. Every year it's been Bob Lamy, the Colts. This year it's Matt Taylor with our own Mark Vandermeer. Mark. Matt, I got to imagine a little frustrating to see the team lose at Philadelphia, yet somewhat encouraging to see them play so well. How are you feeling coming off that one? You know, it was a tough loss, Mark, but it was one of those encouraging kind of morale-boosting losses in that, you know, you're going on the road, the defending Super Bowl champs, hostile environment, Philly, one of the better, uh, you know, more difficult places to play. Carson Wentz coming back, MVP candidate last year. You know, he took him down the field in the first half, uh, marched down the field, scored that first touchdown of the game, and you thought, well, this could be a long day if the Colts can't uh, muster anything uh, offensively, if they can't generate some momentum back on their side. But after the first three weeks of the season, you know, you go back to week one where the Colts could have, should have beaten the Bengals. They lost on a late uh, Jack Doyle fumble that was returned for a touchdown that kind of put the nail in the coffin for the Colts as they're driving down the field looking to score and take the lead in the last couple of minutes. Kind of same thing on, on Sunday in Philly. The Colts had a chance to take the lead. They needed a touchdown with under a minute to go. They couldn't punch it in. And going into the season, we didn't really know what this Colts team was going to be about. We didn't know how good they were going to be because Andrew Luck was coming back. We didn't know how effective he was going to be early on. We didn't know what he was going to look like. Plus, they're running a new defense, a 4-3. They got a new offense with Frank Reich. There's so many young players on this team, you know, 11 rookies. There's 22 guys that are making their NFL debuts this season with the Colts. So it was like, we don't know what to predict. We didn't know how good they're going to be. So even though they're one and two on the season, I think optimism is high because they are competing. They have been in every game. And if you take out a couple of scenarios where you're one out of five inside the red zone last week, two out of 12, you could be looking easily at two and one or three and zero. Oh. I'm sure you guys are talking about the same thing with with the Texans, where you know you're zero oh and three, but you've lost three games by 15 points to play here and there. You could be right back into the thick of it, and you could be have you could certainly have a much better record than you do right now. And that's life in the NFL, I guess. That's just something that these teams have to deal with now. I'll start my line of questioning without mentioning Andrew Luck. Let's go to the defense first, because when people aren't talking about Darius Leonard, they're drooling about Darius Leonard, how well he's playing here, and what he's bringing to the table. Tell me about him, not just on the field, but off the field, because you can see the effect he's having on this defense. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this guy, a a rookie out of South Carolina State, which is an FCS school, his dream was to go to Clemson. Uh, but it just didn't work out. He he, he admitted that he had uh, some bad grades in high school, didn't get into Clemson, wasn't really heavily recruited because of the academics, ended up going to South Carolina State, and basically broke every record in the book they had. And uh, he, he shy. He actually, ironically, the game that uh, put him on the radar for the Colts in the draft process was that game against Clemson, South Carolina State, Clemson, uh, on the road for South Carolina State. And in that game, uh, Darius Leonard had 19 tackles, a couple tackles for loss. He was basically all over the field, similar to what he's been doing so far in three games in his rookie year. And after that game, Chris Ballard kind of followed him along, uh, followed him throughout the draft process, watched him in the senior bowl, and he continued to flourish, continued to do well. 
uh, so much to the fact that the Colts pulled the trigger on him in the second round. And uh, a lot of people are like, okay, that's a lot of draft capital for a guy that didn't play, you know, major Division One college football. But so far, he's, you know, he's, he's thrown water in all the critics. And this guy has just been everything for the Colts so far. I think he leads the NFL in tackles with 41. He's got three sacks. He's second in the NFL so far in tackles for loss with six. He calls himself the Maniac. That's the self-proclaimed nickname that he's given to himself. And he certainly has been just that on the field so far, a maniac. He's got so much speed. He's playing the little linebacker spot for the Colts on defense, come in right away uh, as the starter. He's got sideline-to-sideline speed, plus he loves contact. He, I think, is a budding superstar and could be a Pro Bowl player for the Colts on defense for a long time to come. How did the light bulb go on for Marcus Hunt? What's the difference here as he's really started to make some plays in year six? Yeah, if you talk to Marcus, I think the biggest thing for him, he says, I'm playing a lot more, right? I'm, I'm out there at the start of the game, and I'm, I'm working through the flow of the game, whereas in the past, he's kind of a, a situational player, a role guy where he's thrown out there, kind of cold coming off the bench, where he's not used to going up against guys. He doesn't know what moves he can he can work on certain uh, guards and tackles. He, he just says by playing more, I, I'm, I'm more effective. And plus he's just been given an opportunity and he's flourished in that opportunity. You know, he's, he was in a 3-4 last year coming over. Now he's in a 4-3 where I think he's more comfortable. He's just a strong guy. He, he does a great job with leverage. Um, he under, he's, a, he's a smart guy too where he knows how he can beat the guy, where he can beat the guy across from him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people were kind of at the uh, end of the preseason uh, really throwing their arms up in the air at the Colts saying, why are you getting rid of a guy like John Simon? Why did you keep John Simon when he was a little bit miscast in a 4-3, in a you know, transitioning from a 3-4 outside linebacker? Well, Marcus Hunt's made everybody around here forget about John Simon with the way that he's played, leading the NFL right now in tackles for loss. He's got a couple of passes knocked down. There was one play in Philly last week where he literally beat his man on the inside, tipped the ball away from Carson Wentz, then about 10 to 15 yards uh, away from where he tipped the ball. He tracks it down and gets a fumble recovery. Between he and Darius Leonard, uh, those guys are the two biggest surprises on this Colts defense, which as a unit has been surprising because they're a lot further along than we initially thought going into the season. Matt Taylor joining us, Colts broadcaster. Matt, what about Andrew Luck? What are you seeing right now as he heads into game four? Well, it's hard to say because he looked so good in the first game against Cincinnati. He threw for 319 yards, dropped back to pass 53 times, which was a career high. But the last two weeks, it's been a lot of you know shorter passes, quick, hurried throws. And I don't know if that's a byproduct of who they played. You know, Obviously, Washington's got a good front with uh, Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith. You know, Philly's got Fletcher Cox. So I don't know if it was the game plan type of thing where they, they just couldn't take their shots down the field of T.Y. Hilton, but it hasn't been there the last two weeks. In fact, the Colts only have five plays this season in the passing game where they've uh, gone over 20 yards on a completion. Um, so they'd like to see that number go up. But there again, coming up on Sunday, you guys know the Texans have a great front. They have great people in the secondary. I'm not sure if the Colts are going to be able to take their shots down the field. So you know, a lot of people around here are kind of equating that to, well, is Andrew Luck got a, is is the shoulder still banged up? Is that why he's not taking his shots down the field because he doesn't have the arm strength? I, I don't think those two things correlate. In fact, today, yesterday, Frank Reich and Andrew Luck kind of debunked that theory 
Uh, it just hasn't been there, I don't think, so far for the Colts through three weeks. But they'd like to see that uh, improve, take their shots down the field, obviously get T.Y. Hilton going. But in the meantime, you still have uh, you have Eric Ebron and Chester Rogers and Ryan Grant over the middle kind of dinking and dunking their way down the field. And that's what the Colts did not do in Philly. They didn't sustain drives. and They didn't capitalize inside the red zone. They're going to have to do that on Sunday to beat the Texans. All right, Frank Reich is one of the great one-hit wonder villains in Houston sports history, and now he's coaching the Colts. What's it like to be around Frank Reich? You know, Frank is such a methodical, down-to-business type of person, but he also has a a wider side, too. And I get to talk to him. I get to interview him uh, a couple of times every week. And, you know, when when it's time to do the interview, uh, he's, he's all business, all talk. But there's also times where he kind of lets his hair down a little bit, so to speak, and uh, enjoys some some lighthearted moments. Uh, but the guys love playing for him. I mean, he is uh, his his mantra is obsession to finish, and we have to hustle. We have to lead the league in passion. We have to lead the league in hustle and energy. And I think that's what you're you're seeing so far through three weeks. The Colts they may not have the most talent in the NFL. They may not have the best players, but they're they are. They, they give it everything they have every single play, especially on defense with Matt Eberflus. His hallmarks are kind of the same thing going along with Frank Reich. So it, it has been fun to see this team grow in a short amount of time uh, because, like I said, going into the season, we had no idea how good the Colts were going to be. And through three weeks, it looks like they're going to be competitive basically the entire season, it would appear. Matt Taylor with us, Colts broadcaster. Okay, Matt, you take over play-by-play in the preseason. What was it like for you when you were put into action that way? And I know you manage the radio broadcast world, but now you're in the booth calling the games, which you have done from time to time when Bob Lamey was ill or whatever, but now you're the guy. So what was that like, taking over that spot? You know, it was it was obviously for me a huge opportunity um, and something that I'm having a great deal of fun with. Um, but, you know, with my relationship with Bob, it was bittersweet because I knew how much Bob meant to me. Uh, I know how much I've learned from him. So to see him retire, it was kind of bittersweet. But um, taking the next step forward, you know, it was kind of, uh, okay, here we go. We really didn't have a lot of time to, to think or reminisce or reflect. We just had to go. I mean, we had, uh, I think that uh, third preseason game was two days after the retirement. So it was kind of a crash course thing. As you know, you know Mark, you got to get ready to go. So it's it's been a great deal of fun. It's an opportunity that I'm uh, so appreciative of. And, uh, yeah, like you said, my, my fingerprints are kind of all over Colts Radio to begin with, doing uh, the manager of radio production role and everything that goes with that. Uh, now I'm doing the play-by-play. So it, it's fun to have basically all input on Colts Radio and execute it the way you want it to be executed. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to know that um, on game day what people are hearing and how they're hearing it and in the order of things is, is basically all you. So that that's a great deal of pride for me and uh, i know that you can understand that you can appreciate that it's one more for you how's the fan base doing in indianapolis because i know you transformed that city really into a football city with all the success in the last decade and a half but i know you take a little dip and it's tough but what do you think right now as far as the relationship between the fans and the club it's always kind of hard to put your thumb on the pulse of the fan base like you said from 2009 to 2014 uh, the Colts won five AFC style titles, and they haven't won one since, nor have they been to the playoffs uh, since. So, anytime you have that much success, 
you know, with Peyton Manning and Edger and James and Marvin Harrison and, you know, uh, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. I mean, those guys are all ring of honor guys in the past 10 to 15 years. And so when you set the bar that high, you know, you're, you, you kind of set yourself up for some, some grumpy fans if you're not getting 12 wins every year and going to the playoffs and making Super Bowl runs. So I think the last couple of years, it's been a dose of reality here in Indianapolis as far as, you know, this is kind of like what it's like in every other NFL city on, on the norm. And so I think people have, have had a hard time adjusting to that. But I think things are kind of back on the upswing with the healthy Andrew Luck, a new head coach in Frank Reich, uh, a GM like Chris Ballard that has a clear vision. But that said, you know, it's 2018 and it's a win now society. Everybody wants to Nobody wants to live through a rebuild. Nobody has the patience for a three-year plan, so to speak. So I think that's what the Colts are hoping for this season is to be better record-wise than a lot of people thought, continue that momentum next offseason in the draft, continue to draft well, um, maybe have some pieces that you bring in in free agency because the Colts have over $70 million in cap space. Uh, just continue to do what you're doing, but they're never going to sacrifice uh, the the wins that you can get now versus the plan that you have in place for years down the road. And I think most fans understand that. They are okay with that. But there's still a section of every fan base that is just so tunnel-visioned on the here and the now. And if they're not winning every single week, they're certainly going to be upset. So the Colts are trying to balance that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you – the easiest way to make the playoffs is to win your division games and a huge game's coming up on Sunday against Houston. And uh, they're trying to take that first good step forward by beating the Texans again uh, on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Great stuff from our buddy Matt Taylor. Mark's going to stick around. We're going to talk about this matchup on Sunday next right here on Texans Access. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Man, a week is flying by. We're here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John, and that is Mark. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Houston Texans. Mark, how are you doing? Johnny, I'm doing great. I really am looking forward to Sunday. I mean, can we please do it this week? Please. Oh, please. Get off the schneid. Break the seal. Do whatever it takes. Move the boulder Whatever you want to describe it as. Get a win. How about that? Yeah, get a win. I don't think there's any question. We've got to definitely do that. And it's in a place in which yeah, two of 16, is that right? Mm-hmm. Two of 16. This is the 17th one yeah. up there in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. some at RCA Dome, some at Lucas Oil Stadium. They've been split, but what hasn't been split is the record. Two wins in 15 and 16. We talked about those. I talked about those on replay. It was, it was fun to go back and relive those. But this is a different Colts team. 
a yep. very different Colts team. And, and I wrote about this on my Know Your Foe, Mark. In 2016 in particular, I remember going up there. They were 6-6. Six and six, We were 6-6. Six and six. Tennessee and Jacksonville. I mean, Jack, Tennessee was flirting with it, but they would lose that game to Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. But the winner of that game was more than likely going to win a division. And I remember after beating them, and it, we – we controlled the game throughout, even though it was close. I think it ended up being 22-17. I remember thinking afterwards, this Colts team is either A, going to have to sink a ton of resources in what they already have and take it to a different level, or B, tear it all down, start with luck and move forward and give them a couple of years and see what they've got. Well, they went with option B, and watching them, they're a completely different organization. Really? Completely different. Well, they've got Ballard. They've got Andrew Luck back after last year. Mm-hmm. And last year, they did take that bath. They yeah. did clean it You're up. You're right. They and did. clean house and kind of strip everything down. How about Marcus Hunt making plays? He's come out of almost, I would say, literally nowhere. But this is the Marcus Hunt that everybody thought we were going to get in the NFL when he came into the league. Year five, Johnny? Uh, yeah, he was with Cincinnati. And then he went to the Colts last year. And I remember last year when... When Ballard was making a bunch of free agent signings, he signed John Simon, he signed Jonathan Hankins, and I remember signing Marcus Hunt, and I just, I remember thinking, you're six, actually. If that guy could do anything at all, man, he would be a really good fit for them. But even last year, he was there with them last year, but he didn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Well, then they switched to a 4-3, and they have done, boy, they're really good up front. And they're using Hunt, and they kind of move him around, and they'll play him outside some. But then he'll bump inside at 298 pounds. He'll he'll do like J.J. does. He'll play outside, and then he'll bump inside when he needs to. And he's a monster. He's a complete and total monster. It's amazing how the light's going on this late. I know. Six years. I know. This is the sixth. So it goes to show you, and you can't wait for everybody. I get it. But that goes back to my whole statement about maybe the league needs – a developmental yeah, league or a exactly. situation where guys can go play somewhere. You know, in basketball, they have that. You can go play somewhere. You can go play in Europe or something. I'm yep. not saying it always works out for these guys, but you can hone your game and improve your game. It's very difficult to do that as an NFL player, and maybe he's the rare exception, and no one's putting him in Canton yet, as Bill O'Brien might say, but this guy looks like he's got the goods. He's making plays all over the place. This guy is a problem. Mm-hmm. And the one thing about watching them against both the Eagles and the Redskins is – up front in particular, they've got kind of a smorgasbord of of players. It's They've got a couple of big 330-pound tanks. They've got a guy like Hunt who can play on the inside and the outside. They've got a guy that can just burn the edge like uh, Kimoko Ture. So they've got this menagerie of players that can play on the defensive line, and they can play together. They can do a number of different things, and they just fly upfield. They just fly upfield. I mean, it is. We're coming upfield, and we don't care. We'll leave, you know, we'll leave gaps and whatever. But we're going to create chaos in your blocking system, and they did, especially against the Redskins. I mean, the Redskins didn't know who to block. Now, the Redskins are not very good on the offensive line, but they do have Trent Williams. They do have Brandon Sheriff, at least. So they're going to make this one very dicey for the guys up front for the Texans. I, I worry about that defensive line. And then Darius Leonard who the Colts drafted in round two, Mm -hmm. heard this before. A rookie linebacker drafted at the top of the second round 
Day one, he takes over as the leader of the defense. Yikes. And turns into a face of the franchise type player. Kind of sounds like D'Amico Ryan. D'Amico Ryan's, I was just going to say. I mean, rookie from South Carolina State. He's 6'2, 234. And he's got arms for days. And the Texans spent time with him at the at the Senior Bowl. They coach they coach him. He was on the South Squad. And I remember watching him at the Senior Bowl. There's a lot of there's a lot of hype around him because he his dimensions are just different. Right. He's so long armed and just lean, but can run. And I thought, man, what do you do with him? Are you going to play him at? Could some teams think about playing him at safety? Is he kind of, what? What? What do you do with this guy? And I often thought about what you would do with him for us. And I thought. You know he's basically Zach Cunningham, so I thought, and I and I, and I thought maybe he'd get to the third round, and I think there was a, there were a lot of teams that felt that way, and so the Colts felt like, hey, we got to go up and maybe get him in the second round, and that's why they yeah. had him getting up, getting him so early, but he was phenomenal against the Eagles. I mean, phenomenal. He had thirteen or fourteen tackles. He had five TFLs. He had two sacks. He broke up a pass. He's been phenomenal. I mean. It's the kind of day D'Amico was putting together back in 2006. And that's what worries me He was about this rookie guy. of the year that year, D'Amico was. Uh, you're making me depressed about this, Johnny. But what about on offense? Well, that's another go. story for the Colts, isn't it? Yeah, I told Drew, this is the way that I put this is the way I put the Colts offense right now. If you need 17, they'll score 20. You need 45, they'll score 20. Okay. They're going to score 20 or 21. I mean, they're going to score in that range. Yep. Unless you give them unless you give them things. But here's the depressing thing, and I always think 20 is the magic number in the NFL. I mean, if you consistently hold teams below 20, you're going to have a huge record, you know. If you if you yes. consistently score above 20, you're going to have a great record. Absolutely. That's just it's the magic number in this league. And guess what? The Texans have really not gotten there. They got the 22 last week with the garbage time touchdown. Yep. It was a little bit more than a garbage time touchdown, but really, come on, you didn't have enough time to try an onside kick and a right. legitimate Hail Mary shot. So it, it turned into that for them. It was kind of like a backdoor touchdown. But the the fact is, 20 points, 20, 17 points, you know, these are these are not totals that are going to get yep. it done. These are their totals so far, 17, 20, 22. So you're averaging less than 20 points per game. Right. They can't be doing that. Nope. That's Osweilerian. <laughs> Can I use that as a word? Sort yeah, of? I like a use. But that year they averaged 17 and change a game. Now they're averaging 19. I mean, they yeah. they got to get out of this. I mean, we didn't think they were going to average 30 a game, but I thought right. 25, my gosh. If you average 25 points per game, this year, well, you're at least 2-1, and one, and maybe because you scored at the opportune time, maybe you beat the Giants. Well, in 2016, you scored 23 mm-hmm. right off the bat. You won that game. You scored mm-hmm. 19 the next week, and you won that game because yeah. you held the Chiefs to 12. Right. You had the game at the end of the year where you held the Bengals to 10. You yeah. only scored, what, you scored 13? No, you scored 12 in that game, won that mm-hmm. game 12-10. So you were winning games by scoring 12-19. That's... You know the defense hasn't gotten in that groove yet to be able to get there, and I right. and I say that hoping that they're going to end up getting there. But I think that if the offense were playing better, more sustained drives, those point totals would be lower for the I think opponent. so too. I, I think, think it would Patriots, definitely. I think it would definitely flip. Yeah. I think it definitely would flip. I mean, you could make a case that they. I mean, just take away the dumb stuff that they've been doing. Well, take away the turnover on the opening play from scrimmage right. to start the season. All right. Take away the fake punt. The fake punt isn't even on the defense. Right. All right. So what was that? 20 points for the Titans that day? Gave up only 13 that day. All right. So there you have it. And against the Giants, I mean, I can't excuse the defense totally. No. But I can tell you this. If the offense isn't going three and out all the time in the first half, the Giants don't even have the ball to score as many points as they did. What, 20 by the break? 
they don't have the ball enough to score 20 by, by the break. So the offense, it's complementary football, like Bill O'Brien keeps talking about. They, both sides have to help each other. Obviously, the third phase has to play a part. That was better against the Giants than it was against the Titans, but they have not put it all together, to say the least, and they've got to find a way to do it fast. Really, the closest they got was in the second half against Tennessee, I felt like. I mean, maybe you could say against the Giants, possibly, yeah. but... The, but the offense wasn't helping out and gave you two turnovers in the, in the second half, two turnovers that could have turned into, at a minimum, six points. At a minimum, six points with the fumble and then, of course, the interception, back-to-back drives. But, Mark, to me, and, and it's been talked about, I look, the Colts, I think, I think the Colts are a lot better than people think. I mean, Vegas has them as a three-point favorite, and that's, I mean, right now, at 0-3 versus 1-2, and two, you if go you with the home the, team. If you put the Texans as a three-point favorite, all the money would come over to the Colts side. Absolutely. So this is why they have to do it. They want to tantalize you to pick the Texans to cover or yep. or beat the spread, and that's how they think. Yep. And I don't blame them for thinking that way because the way the Texans have played, you figure, well, the Colts are at home, they'll make fewer mistakes. And I'm not snoozing on this team at all. They held the Redskins to nine points to back up your defensive yep. comments. And then you look at the Eagles, and Carson Wentz is playing, and they're at home. I know they were in the rain last week, yeah. but they held the Eagles to 20 points, and they couldn't score. So this, I expect, and I know it's only Wednesday. We're not getting into prediction zone here, but I expect an ugly game in the teens. I think it's going to be 17-14, 20-17, that kind yep. of thing. And whoever doesn't make that big mistake or who can make one clutch play in the fourth quarter is going to win this game, and it's got to be Houston. They have to figure out a way. The one thing that Indianapolis has not done, to your point, is they haven't given things away. Yeah. They've not given things away. Now, Andrew had two interceptions against the Redskins. One was on a tip ball, and the other one, Swearinger, uh, Swearinger got both of them. But one was off a tip pass, and Swearinger was in the right spot. And the other one, Swearinger just red luck staring down a wide receiver, and it really was the only time that Andrew threw the ball. Not the only time, but one of the few times he threw the ball beyond 15 yards in the line of scrimmage, and Swearinger jumped in front. Lock was luck was locked in on him, and away you go. Offensively, when you look at them, you look at the running backs, and you go Jordan Wilkins, Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines. You're like, eh, okay, but those guys they can hurt you with some speed. But you go, okay, really? Then you look at the receivers, and you're like, okay, there's T.Y. Hilton. I get that. Jack Doyle didn't play against the Eagles, and and I don't know if he'll be healthy to play against the Texans or not. That's a huge loss because Ebron is not. Ebron is the Ebron of Detroit. He hasn't kind of turned that corner yet for them, and I don't know if he's going I'm to. I'm not snoozing on any tight end, though. After last oh, week, yeah. Ellison scores a touchdown that's pass true. with a touchdown pass after Ingram left the game. No, that's true. I mean, it's a good point. You can't. I mean, you can't really sleep on anybody, but when you think about the skill position talent you're going to face this week versus what you faced last week, it's night huge, and day difference. Huge difference. It's night and day different. Now, when they run the ball, they're going to run behind 56, and he's a dude. He's a complete and total dude. But you've got to be able to. And what they did, they were just they just capitalized on shorter fields. They made a few plays against the, the Eagles, and they ended up putting up 16 points. And you can make an argument they could have won the game. And watching watching it back, as I'm watching it unfold, I'm like, I know what the result is. And I see them take a 16-13 lead, and I remember thinking up to that point, like, okay, they, they just played this close. They just... The game really wasn't that close. The score was close. But the game wasn't that close. And then as I'm watching it, I'm like, they should have won this game. They should have they beaten Eagles in Philadelphia. And I think a lot of it just has to do with, A, they're not beating themselves, which yeah. you would expect a team that's got some youth to it, which it does. You would expect the team to do that. They're not beating themselves. And defensively, they fly around and they keep everything in front. 
and they just run to the football like a bunch of madmen. And then they limit what you're able to do. And 53 in the middle, Darius Leonard is a complete and total baller. He is the he is the focal point of that particular defense. But Jabal Sheard, who has been a thorn in our side for years, Yikes. is continuing to make plays. You've got uh, two massive dudes in the middle, and Al Woods and Grover Stewart, and they're angry. They they are they're football angry. Kamiko Toure on the edge. They're in the secondary. I don't think they're very good other than Malik Hooker in the secondary, but you don't have a lot of time to throw because right. you got those guys up front. We know what that's like. Yeah. And exactly. with the Texans running the ball last week, getting virtually nothing on the ground from the running backs, you know, and it's yeah. not all their fault, obviously. Right. You just weren't getting holes. You weren't blocking, whatever. I mean, you have like Lamar Miller, one yard per carry, whatever. That's just not going to do it. Right. So let's just see if they can find a way to run the ball a little bit better this week. I just want to see, I think, if you can correct some of the things that have been happening along the offensive line, the pre-snap stuff, you're going to go a long way toward winning a game. I think if if the pre-snap stuff was reduced by, say, three out of four, you might even win one of these games. That that yeah. alone might be enough. Not that they haven't made other mistakes because they've made plenty, yeah. but that alone might be the the difference between one win and zero wins heading up to Indy. And it's been... And it's been in the worst spot. Not that having a false start penalty is good at any any point on the field, but they're happening in the worst spot. They're happening on, you know, third and fr- third and goal from the five. It's happening on first right. and ten, uh, or first and goal from the nine. It's happening in those spots. In those point blank range, you got to have some points spots. You can't have you can't have it anywhere. It's going to happen from time to time. We all agree, false start, whatever. It's going to happen. But you can't have it happen, like back-to-back or down near the goal line. We talked about the long goal-to-go situations. They cannot afford to live like that. Got to find a way. Now, it's funny. You you mentioned going to Indy, and the record is horrible against the Colts, like 7-24 all time. (sighs) Did I just say that? Oh, Oh my my gosh. gosh. So bad. It's just so bad. It looked like the tide had changed last or in 2016, like you said. Right. So – in some ways, I feel like this is a place where they can go get a win because based on the recent history of 15 and 16, yeah. yes, the team is so different from the 15 team. I mean, we went over oh, the numbers. Yeah. It's only like 13, 14 guys who are still here from that yeah. team. It's it's just a terribly low number. So nobody remembers that. The 16 game, you have a lot more people who remember that. But one, you have Watson going up there for the first time. I think the Colts fans are going to be pretty jacked up. It's still early in the I season. So I know they kind of abandoned the team last year, but they'll be there for this one. It's a divisional game. Everybody in the division, after what happened last week, still feels like they got a good shot. But the Colts haven't even played an AFC South game yet, so it's going to be a wild one. A wild one in terms of action and drama and things like that. I don't think it's a wild one in terms of scoring. But yeah. I think action in terms of big defensive plays, maybe some weird things happening. It's the Texans and the Colts. I always feel like it's got a, an element of wildness to it. Hopefully at the end it's just the Gators eating the Texans. And if you know math, you know what I'm talking about. Mark, appreciate it. The Gator is eating the Texans. Yeah, did you ever do less than greater than? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. the, the Gator always I needed an one. explanation on that, That's though. All right. all right, thanks, Jeff. That happens. Just sitting over here doling on math lessons. That's all I'm doing tonight on Texans All Access. Coming up next, it's our radio partner, Andre Ware, on Texans All Access. Stay right where you are.
The Houston Texans, Whataburger, and the Houston Food Bank are teaming up to help them take on their toughest opponent ever, Houston Area Hunger. Just donate a dollar the next time you're in an area Whataburger, and that dollar will go to help the Houston Food Bank feed 800,000 of our community neighbors each year. And you'll even get a coupon for a free Whataburger with the purchase of a 32-ounce drink and medium fry for every buck that you give. So from now until October 8th, give a buck and be a part of the team that's wiping out hunger in Houston. All right, let's close down this show the right and proper way, and that's what our good buddy Andre Ware. Mark, take it away. Dre, here we go. Week four, the Texans desperate for victory. And take me through this. You've been on some really successful teams and on some teams that have struggled as well. What's the mindset right here? It's still very early in the season, but no wins to show for their work. Well, uh, I remember playing for Coach Pardee, and, and one of his the main things that he always concentrated on and talked to us about, no matter if it were before the season or at, at some point during the year, uh, he always stressed winning streaks and successful seasons are uh, stringing wins together and creating winning streaks. So that that would be the first thing as a player that you concentrate on is, hey, let's get the first one. We can't get to six before we get the first one. So it's literally become a one-game season every week uh, for the Texans as you you sitting in those uniforms. It's just one week at a time, uh, one opponent at a time. I know it sounds like a cliche, but you can't look ahead. And this is as tough of an opponent that uh, you face because of the challenges that every team for 16 years essentially has faced going into this building. You know, Andre, I think with the Colts it's weird because for so many years they had Peyton Manning and then Andrew Luck, and of course they were going to be tough to beat with those guys, but – Last year, Jacoby Brissett won two straight against the Texans. Go back to 2011, Dan Orlovsky in Week 16 beating the Texans in a primetime game. I mean, this team seems to have the Texans' number over time, and they got to find a way to get over the hump this weekend. Is there something to that, a team having the other team's number, even though the players change? Well, I think a lot's changed, really, because, you know, not only uh, have players changed and, you know, they were so dominant, well, in terms of being able to get to the quarterback in the early years. And now uh, the, the coaching staff's changed. The philosophy, both on offense as well as defense, has changed. And so uh, a lot of things have changed. I don't, I don't think it's just a, a franchise or a team having uh, one team, you know, one guy's number over, over, you know, this year or that year. It's just you have to put those things behind you. This is a new team, excuse me, in – 2018 and it's different than the bunch that 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 you trotted out against in 2017 and so it's a younger team it seems as though the Colts have uh, have gone to that approach as they you know still keep some key components as they try to get a little bit younger but it's a uh, a talented group as well you know Nate Harrison for instance is only a, in his second year and a fifth round corner uh, out of Temple uh, as well as Quincy Wilson and Kenny Moore on the other side are both second-year players in their secondary. But they're young, but they are tremendously talented uh, talented players that uh, you just got to kind of get uh, get a beat on, so to speak. What are you seeing in Andrew Luck? He's not lighting it up yet. He's got all the talent, but he's coming back from the injury. So what do you think so far in his comeback? I'll tell you this. A lot of guys around the league would be like, love to be 
five touchdowns, three picks, and, and uh, about 662 yards. A lot of guys would, would take those stats right now, and we're not seeing his best football. Uh, I hope we don't see his best football uh, this weekend, but I, I'm on note. I'm an Andrew Luck fan. I know him personally. I know I'm really good friends with his dad, Oliver, who, uh, who we've spent a lot of mornings having breakfast together here in the city of Houston. So I'm always rooting for Andrew Luck to, to play well. Maybe just not well enough this week uh, to beat the Texans, but you can't help but be a fan of his because of the, the human being. But he's coming back. Obviously, there was a little bit more to that injury than the Colts led on, uh, but you don't see it when you watch the film that he's struggling in any uh, any manner. The arm strength seems to be there. He can make all the throws. He's extremely accurate, and he's a mobile guy as well. You forget that portion or that part of his game. When things break down up front, he can create with his legs, uh, whether he is scrambling to throw or scrambling to pick up first downs, and then getting himself down and protecting himself. But there is nothing wrong uh, with Andrew Luck as he just starts, uh, I, I would guess, restarts his career in Indianapolis. Andre Ware joining us on Texans Radio. So, Dre, the pre-snap stuff, the penalties the Texans are having on the offensive line, what is the remedy there? How can they correct that? I think the first first and foremost is get the ball up. Uh, when you look at it now that you go back and – you watch the uh, the film, you can point to a, a couple of different things. And, you know, every once in a while, a guy's going to jump, especially if, it, if it's on the road. But if you see more than one offensive lineman moving, uh, and it's not just one, he just happens to be the guy they call or throw the flag and call for the the, uh, the false start, there are multiple guys moving. That, that lets me know the center's not getting the ball up. And I don't know. If you remember you and I visiting before the game, I said this is going to be uh, maybe Nick Martin's toughest game of his career because he is playing against an all-pro in Harrison uh, who's going to be right over his nose all all game long. And I know uh, personally how hard that is for a center to have a guy that's big and strong, hard to move, and is a good pass rusher uh, who's right over your center's face every single snap. It's frustrating. And so, uh, you know, you start to, to flinch or you start to, you know, sit back a little bit longer than maybe you need to. The snap, the ball's not coming up quite as fast. But those are those. that's where I would start right there is making sure that uh, when the snap count's being called, everybody's getting off on the football, including the guy that's snapping it. Well, Dre, you gave Andrew Luck's numbers earlier. Deshaun Watson, when you look at his numbers, it's not too bad, really. You know, he has five TDs, three picks, 871 yards, throws for 300 in each of the last two games, quarterback rating around 90. But what are you thinking here, year two, week four? Where do you want to see continued improvement? What do you want to see out of him against the Colts? Yeah, I would love to see that that completion percentage get itself up above, you know, at least 63% or so, and then the interceptions go down. But, you know, you ask for those things, uh, but yet, in the same breath, you would ask for, okay, I would like to see them push the ball down the field a little more. Well, that's what he does, and, and that's going to lead to a, maybe a little bit lower completion percentage. Uh, you want to see him attack the end zone. Okay, he's doing that, but you want maybe just in a little bit different sense where it's not into double coverage and find a single receiver or a guy that's singled up and push it into the end zone. Because as we know, 
all three interceptions have taken place in the end zone when he's on the attack. It just happens to be uh, one was one a heck of a play by the defender, and the other was obviously a second one that I remember off the top of my head in the double coverage, which you just can't have. So he can clean some things up. I think he's he's uh, he's every bit the player we all thought he was and is. And, uh, you know, there's some unfair criticism that's going on there when uh, you've got some things going on up front that's beyond his control. Uh, I'd liken it a few years ago, the Oklahoma Sooners had a bunch of skill position players coming back, but only one offensive lineman were back. And it took them a long time to fix things up front. And it didn't matter that Sam Bradford was arguably the most talented passer in the country. Uh, they couldn't protect him. Therefore, you can't get the ball to skill position players when things up front aren't uh, clicking the way you want them to. So that needs to be cleaned up. I think once they, they get in sync up front, you're going to see a better version of Deshaun Watson. What about the defense? How do they get more consistency? Because first half last week, they allowed four scoring drives. Second half, they locked down for a long time, but then the big drive at the end of the game. And that was a similar sort of performance to what they saw at Tennessee the week before. Now they go back out on the road, and you're facing, like you said, Andrew Luck. It's kind of a wild card because what he does this Sunday might be a whole lot better than what he's been doing so far because he's on the comeback trail. So what do you think going in? Yeah, they were so good against the run uh, and have been for a while, but then all of a sudden there was a dip with what the Giants were were able to accomplish. I think they came into the game averaging just – uh, right around 74 yards, and they went obviously for well over that uh, in that ball game. The Colts come in averaging about 82 or so, and you can't allow that to happen. And that's where you where this starts first. We get so caught up in the sacks and blowing up the field, and and that you put stress on a number of other players, the scheme itself, when you don't stop the run first. And that's where it all starts in the NFL. If you allow teams to run the football, they're going to have success. And so they're stopping the run first and foremost, especially on the early downs. And then I'd go to third downs. you got to be better than 17th in the league at 38% in, in getting off the field on third downs. Those are the drives that continue. Those are drives that end up leading to some type of scores that go on the scoreboard. So those are two areas I would clean up right away stopping the run, and then getting off the field on third down. All right, what's happening in college this week with you? Going up to uh, to one an area that you're familiar with in the Boston area, going to see Boston and Temple, who is – Temple's actually knocked off a uh, couple of pretty good teams in yep. the last, last two weeks. They've knocked off Maryland, and then they beat Tulsa last week. So they are uh, firing on all cylinders as they go into – to Boston College to face arguably the one of the better backs in the entire nation in A.J. Dillon. So this is one that uh, two totally different styles and ways of getting it done. One's more open and spread and, and, and flinging it around. The other is more old school and wanting to control the game with a running game. So uh, two, two ways of doing it. I'm anxious to see it. And then I think I'm going to take in a, a Red Sox-Yankees uh, game uh, when I get there on Friday night before uh, before I even get to, to put any football business. That is a good idea. You know, if it were later in the season, I would say college hockey. Have you ever been to a college hockey game? I've been to one hockey hockey game, period. That's but it. But I do also know that 
it's better to go than it is to watch it on TV because yep. all the action mm-hmm. takes place behind the puck. So if I ever get the opportunity certainly to do that, I'll, I'm going to do it. Awesome. All right, Dre. Well, we'll see you in Indy on Sunday. Safe travels. We look forward to it. Awesome. Looking forward to this one, man. There he is, the man, Andre Ware, our game analyst. He'll be in BC checking out the BC Eagles. Tough loss for them last week to Purdue. But A.J. Dillon, dude, total, complete dude. A lot of people to thank for this evening's show. Andrew Walker of Colts.com and, of course, D.P. Sidhu. Got to thank my man, Russell Baxter. Got to thank Mark Vandermeer, of course. Got to thank Matt Taylor, the play-by-play voice for the Indianapolis Colts. And, of course, our buddy Andre Ware for stopping by. It's been a jam-packed show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.